Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. It's important to be reminded that we pick up here in these verses after what we studied last week. We looked in the beginning of Mark 1 and we saw the events surrounding Jesus' entrance, that's where Mark begins. Mark doesn't begin with Jesus' birth story. There's nothing about the nativity, the wise men. There was no room in the end, like none of that. Uh, Mark goes right to Jesus coming on the scene at about 30 years old. And we looked last week at Jesus, kind of his grand entrance as king coming on the scene. He enters through the messenger, the water, the spirit, the father, and the wilderness. That was last week, seeing how Jesus made his grand significant entrance. Um, the title of the message last week was The Way Jesus Entered. And here, as we unpacked and explored all that Jesus began to do, the title of the message this morning is The Way Jesus Began. One of my favorite things about this series is I don't have to be too creative with my sermon titles. But that's the big idea of this passage. Last week, The Way Jesus Entered. And here in Mark 1, what we just read, if you're new to the Bible, and even if you're not, just a reminder, what we just read there in Mark 1 was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. All that he began to do in the region of Galilee. I've always wanted to do this. Check out this map, all right? We got a map. When I say I've always wanted to do this, I just, I want to be like a map Bible teacher guy. You know what I mean? Like the maps in your Bible, I wish we used them more. You know, like the maps. One day I'm going to start a Bible study and say, hey, everyone, turn in your Bible to the maps. Um, For now, I got a map on the screen. This is a map of the northern region of Israel. This is where Jesus' ministry is being conducted. Jerusalem's all the way down here. Up here, you have the hometown of Jesus in Nazareth, where he's raised. He's a blue-collar worker, working for his adopted father, okay, Joseph. And he is really growing, the Bible says, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And then at 30 years old, as we just read, Jesus enters onto the scene of his public ministry. And his ministry, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is going to take place largely around this area of northern Israel. Jesus will make certain journeys down to Jerusalem. The Gospel of John highlights a lot of that. Ultimately, Jesus will go to Jerusalem to be crucified. But for those three years that Jesus serves the Lord in his public ministry, he is mostly serving in these areas, northern Israel in the area of Galilee. His first miracle you read in John is at Cana, so a lot of cool stuff happening in this area. You have the Sea of Galilee, you have the Jordan River, so um, that's a map. Okay, Jesus is beginning his ministry in this region. Now that area, let's put the map back up, that area, Galilee, is an area of about 60 by 30 miles. It has about 204 villages in it. I just want you to know kind of the context in which Jesus is beginning his ministry in. Uh, Each of those 204 villages have no less than like 15,000 people. We're talking about a total of a little bit more than 3 million people in that context. So this is where Jesus is entering on the scene, and that's what we just saw here in these verses. The way that Jesus began his ministry in these territories, in that context, um, there at around 30 years old. Now, what we're going to look at today is really specifically what Jesus did. What did he do? That's what we saw there in Mark 1. We saw all the different elements of Jesus' ministry on earth, all that he began to do. I want to give two reasons why we as followers of Jesus 
would want to and even need to be familiar with the ministry of Jesus. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. The ministry that Jesus did at around 30 years old and that he continued in his life. Why would we as Christians want to or need to be familiar with what he did? And here's two reasons. You can write these down. The first reason, and maybe this is the more obvious one, is we want to be familiar with the ministry of Jesus so that we can experience it personally. Amen? Like, we want to experience personally this same Jesus who we know is alive and still working. That's what's so cool about studying the life of Jesus. We're not just studying a past uh, historical figure. We're studying our ruling, reigning, living Savior who dies, but he rises and ascends to the right hand of the Father, and he's still at work today. This ministry that Jesus is accomplishing here in Mark, I want you to see yourself in the story. This is something relevant to our lives, who he is and what he did. I love the way that Hebrews describes this. Hebrews describes Jesus this way for his followers. Uh, Hebrews is leading up to this point of how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the law of the Old Testament. And one of the ways in which he comes to fulfill that is he's a, a priest for his followers. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest... Jesus is your priest, the high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we we profess, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, which is usually the thing that can keep us from coming to someone for ministry, isn't it? Like, if I feel like you're going to judge me for my weaknesses or I can't be honest with you about my weaknesses, it's going to be hard for me to come to you and receive from you because I feel like you're going to reject me rather than receive me and love me. Are you guys with me, right? You know what I'm saying? So, so this is what's good news about Jesus. You can come to Jesus because, first of all, there's nothing you can hide. And secondly, there's nothing you can bring to him that he's going to reject you for. He can empathize. He knows you're human. He knows your frame. He knows we're fallen. So... so We have in Jesus, we have a priest who we can come to, who we can access. We don't have to clean ourselves up to come before this priest. We come as we are before him, and he welcomes us. And Jesus is one who has been tempted. This is why he can empathize. God became a man in the person of Jesus. We saw the temptation of Jesus last week. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. This is what makes Jesus like a perfect minister, right? Like... Two things you need in someone that you're going to for ministry. You need them to not judge you for your struggle, but you need them to actually provide you some hope that you can be free from it. So like if you're you know, confessing your sin to someone, you want them to minister to you, and they're like, yeah, I'm stuck in that same problem. You're going to be like, how can you help me? You know? You know what I'm saying? So Jesus is just the perfect combo of this. He's someone that both is able to, he's able to take you further. He's gone further than we've gone. He's succeeded, yet he's also, at the same time, success hasn't gone to his head as it can in ministry and life sometimes in our, in our Christian mindset where I, I'm better than you now, and so I, you, know, you can't really be honest with me. That's just really beautiful. Now, here's what it says in light of this. It's a call. This, this is what the pursuit of our Christian life should be, knowing that this is who Jesus is. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence knowing who he is, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love the assumption here, you're going to have a time of need. There are things that you're going to need from Jesus. 
The good news of the gospel is you can come to him and he's there to meet you and minister to you, to give you what you need. (laughs) All that you need is found in him. He has what you need. So this is the first reason why we would want to then be familiar with the ministry of Jesus, because we want to experience it personally. Wherever we find ourselves in the story, this same Jesus is alive and well, and he wants to minister to you. Another reason why we'd want to be familiar with the ministry of Jesus that we just read about here in this passage is we also are called to extend it practically. I made the comment that Jesus not only begins ministry here, but the ministry he begins is what he continues throughout his life. But following the Gospels, you have something called the book of Acts, which is the story of the the early inception, the origin story, rather, of the church, where Jesus continues his ministry by his spirit through his people, right? So I love the way the book of Acts begins. Here's how the book of Acts begins. Like, the gospel story of Jesus' life is done, but it's like the ministry of Jesus isn't over. Because now his church is going to be sent out, empowered by the spirit, to extend what they've received, right? So it says in Acts 1, the way that it begins, the former account I made... O Theophilus, I won't say the joke, okay? Theophilus guy, all right? He's, he's not Theophilus, okay? I, what I, you said you weren't going to say it, and then you said it. What's your problem? All right? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, now he's talking about the gospel, all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the, to the apostles whom he had chosen. So this is what, what, what Luke is saying. Notice the implication. The last account is all that he began to do when he came to earth. But this account is what he continues to do through the church. Isn't that beautiful? After he gave commands to his apostles, and we know the story. You look at the book of Acts, and really what the church is in the book of Acts is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus on the earth. Like all the things you read about here in Mark, Jesus doing, if you read the book of Acts, I mean, this is what Christianity is. Like, let's just do the things Jesus did by the power of the Spirit. Let's not overcomplicate this. Let's not get too tied up. Let's just go, what did Jesus do? And, and how can we still join him in what he's doing? As he gives us his Holy Spirit to be about what he was about on the earth. And that's the book of Acts. The disciples doing the very things that Jesus did. So we're going to want to be familiar with the ministry of Jesus because we're called to it. Amen? We're called to it. In your workplace, in your home, in your families, in your neighborhoods, you're called to know the ministry of Jesus because Jesus wants to fulfill that through you. You're called to do the ministry of Jesus. Just another kind of uh, idea about this is found in Ephesians 2. It says that God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Just think about that for a second. The church is the physical presence of Jesus on the earth. By his spirit, the church exists to be his body through which he fills, the, fills all in all. That's just amazing to think about. It also is humbling and it should be sobering and it should cause us to say, what are we doing, right? And what are we making church to be? And what is your heart for church? Because you're the head. We're here to be your body. We're here to be about what you were about. So to foundational reasons why we would want to be familiar with the ministry of Jesus. We want to experience it personally. We want to extend it practically. So 
Let's get familiar with it. What were the things that Jesus began to do on earth so that we can experience and extend it? First thing that we saw him doing in Mark 1 is we see Jesus came preaching the gospel. Something to experience and something ourselves to extend. Jesus came preaching the gospel. In fact, let me say this. This is the first thing that Jesus comes to do. Jesus isn't a miracle worker, good teacher that also preached the gospel. It seems like the gospel was Jesus' first order of business and everything else flowed out of that. He comes on the scene preaching the gospel. Let's, let's see this. Mark 1, we read this. After John's put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So this is crazy. Jesus comes on the scene preaching. Now let's, let's unpack this a little bit. The word preaching there can also be translated proclaiming. He came to proclaim the gospel. What does it mean to preach or proclaim? Andrew, isn't that what you are and what you're doing? You're a preacher who's preaching. How can I preach? What does it mean to preach? Jesus comes on the scene preaching. Maybe you go, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm a, I'm a mom, <laughs> you know? It's like, you're a preacher. What does that actually look like? Well, the idea here of preaching and proclaiming, it's literally this. Write this down. To preach and proclaim is to use your voice to bring attention to something important. That's simply what proclaiming is. You use your voice to bring attention to something important. Come on, we do this all the time. Like, this is what social media is, by the way. You have your voice called your account, and you use it to draw attention to what you think is important. And I get to use my account to draw attention to what I think is, like, it's what we do all day long. Um, the prayers that are being given and the heart that's, hearts that are being broken for what's going on in Ukraine right now is a result of a lot of people saying, we, we need to lift our voice. We, we, this matters, right? This has been going on this whole week. People around the world using their voice to bring attention to something that needs prayer, that needs intervention. Um, really, it's us reminding us that we, this, we need Jesus to come back. Like, Jesus, come quickly. We're reminded that, yet politicians, as perfect as they are, are not Jesus. We need Jesus to come back. But, but that's preaching. That's proclaiming. Okay, so when you hear the word preaching, I don't want you to think about a stage and a microphone and a job and a role in the church. I want you to think about where has God called you and how has God called you to use your voice like Jesus did. Jesus used his literal voice to draw attention. Now, here's the good news. Well, here's literally the good news. Uh, here's what Jesus used his voice to draw attention to. It says the gospel. Jesus came preaching the gospel, the evangelion. The word there is simply good news or a good message or good tidings. Um, this is at the heart of the Christian faith. We gather here each and, every, each and every week. We follow Jesus each and every week because God has brought good news to our lives. In a world of bad news, Jesus comes in with great news. Now, what is the news that Jesus is preaching? What is the good news that he's preaching? It's the good news of the kingdom of God. It's good news that comes to you straight from heaven. And what is that news? Here's the message. Jesus comes on the scene. Here's his gospel message. He says, the time is fulfilled, I love this, and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's his gospel. The time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this is good news to the people that Jesus is preaching to. And this is good news, especially to the Christians who are reading this letter, who are suffering under the authority and hand of Emperor Nero. I got good news for you. The king has come. That's the good news. Now, we know that this is connected to a broader story that you find all throughout the Bible, that there is in history and in the narrative of Scripture that helps us understand the world in history, there is a contest in the world between two kingdoms at every moment. A contest. Now, it's not really a contest because in the end, you know, it's like me playing judo one-on-one. Like, I'm going to dunk, I'm going to win, you know? I'm a great dad. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story is the kingdom of God is the only kingdom that will last forever. That God's rule and reign will not be threatened, but it will endure. Yet at the same time, here in the meantime, there are real things about the brokenness of the system of this world because there is a competing kingdom. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom that we have all joined in our rebellion against God. Like That's the language of Scripture. That God has brought us out of that kingdom into his light, but it's a kingdom that we have all joined. The king has been dethroned in the earth. You look at the Garden of Eden and things are well and right because the kingdom of God is on earth. But we have usurped the king. That's the nature of sin. The result of that is everything broken in this world. The result of that is sin and suffering and trauma and everything that you and I know about in our own lives and in the world around us. It's the result of dethroning the king. The good news of the gospel is the king has come. The king, now, this is, this is really good news because what this is also saying is the king has come to defeat the usurper. That he's not going to win. That Jesus is going to rule. Jesus is going to reign. And so Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is here. The king has come to thwart the plan of that enemy, to take his throne back and to bring, listen to this, sinful humanity to salvation in his kingdom. Now, I mentioned earlier that like in this contest between kingdoms, our problem and the problem of this world is we have joined the rebellion of darkness. That's what humanity has done. That's what it means to be fallen. We know there's fallen angels, and then there's fallen humanity. So how is it good news if the king that we've rebelled against is here? Because like, usually like in our context of sinful humanity, like whenever a new regime comes in to take over the, like the fake regime that's like been posturing and like, you know, usurped the other authority, usually that new regime comes in and he wipes out everyone, right? Like he just brings his family in, everyone that's on his side, and he kills all the traitors and gets rid of anyone who's against him. This is why it's good news. The good news of the gospel is not just what God has done, but it's what God is like. This is really important. A lot of times we can reduce the gospel to something that God did, but we got to remember all that God does flows out of who he is, right? So God demonstrates his own love for us is what the Bible says. In that while we are still sinners, while we're enemies of God, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for us. This is good news. Jesus is bringing good news because here's what he's saying. Despite your rebellion against God, God loves you and he's going to bring you into his family. He's going to go to the cross for you. This is, un- this is unlike any kingdom you've ever seen established. This is a kingdom that's, that's, even though you've rebelled against it, it's for you. Here's the call. Repent and believe the gospel. 
see your sin, and then immediately see your Savior. See King Jesus who goes to wear a crown of thorns on a cross. Mocked as king of the Jews when really he's the king of the whole universe, laying down his life, not coming to be served, but to serve you and me. We were the rebels, guys. And we know that that's not just like a were. We still, don't you still rebel sometimes? But this is who God is. Right now, even, I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care when, you know, how long it's been since you first prayed the prayer. And Listen, right now, the gospel is for you. It's good news for you. The good news of the gospel has never been about you. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been, it's always been what Jesus is coming to do despite what we do. Now, the call is the same. It's always the same. This is not a one-time thing, by the way, is it? I've repented and believed. I'm good now. This is a regular reorientation of our hearts to enter and live in the kingdom. It's, it's, it's certainly the first step towards salvation. Let me just share the gospel with you, good news of the gospel. Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins, the sins that you committed that have separated you from God. God took care of that on the cross. And all you have to do is turn from your sin and trust in him as your savior. Really, the gospel is this. Stop trying to be your own savior. It's impossible. You can't reconnect your way to God. Your hope is that he would connect himself to you. The gospel is he has through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And God looks at your life today, regardless of what state it's in, and he says, come to me. Come to me as you are and trust in me for salvation. For whoever receives the Son, to him, them it's given the right to be called children of God. This is the gospel, good news. You're brought into his family. You go from an enemy of the king to a child of the king. How awesome is that? You get to be brought in with the hope of eternal life, becoming a new creation in Jesus. You're restored back to who you were created to be, forgiven of all your sin because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And to, to trust in that, it's repenting and believing. But Martin Luther said it well. Repentance isn't just the first step of the Christian life. It's the, the, the whole of the Christian life. Regularly turning, changing my way, and trusting in Jesus. My knowing my tendency to rebel against the kingdom and enter into the kingdom. So, beautiful. Jesus came preaching the gospel. How are we doing? Point one. We'll be great. All right. We're called, let me say this. We're called to experience this gospel. Before you're called to preach the gospel, you're called to experience the gospel. In fact, you'll never preach the gospel unless you experience the gospel. I remember like in youth ministry, this is one of the biggest things that used to frustrate me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rant too much, but like how do we get kids to preach the gospel in their schools? We gotta get these Christian kids to share the, share the gospel. They're like, okay, Jesus loves you. Die on the cross for your sin. It's like, you know, the picture in Scripture, I think of Jeremiah. He's like, I, I can't help but share the gospel. I've been so impacted by the gospel. It's such good news to me that it has to be good news. Like, it has to be good news through me. Anything that's good news to you, you tell people. You're like, I got good news. And so this is so essential. We're called to do the same thing that Jesus did, to preach the gospel and invite people in Second thing Jesus came to do was Jesus came, we see this also, he came calling disciples. I just want to assure you, I just cut out the second half of that point. Hello, point number two. Okay, Jesus came calling disciples. This is the second thing we see him doing in this passage. He's coming preaching the gospel, but the mission for the church and the mission of Jesus on earth wasn't just to make converts, it was to make what? Disciples. 
The Master Plan of Evangelism. It's a book we read, actually, our community group leaders and team. It's a book about Jesus' strategy. Jesus didn't come on earth to be a one-man show and, you know, fill the room with addition. So much of church growth today is just how do we get butts in seats, you know? Sorry for using the word butt. It's not appropriate for church, but, but um, grow up. Um, Jesus' mission on earth was so much more than let's fill out the room. We got, we got to get numbers. It's all about, you know, quantity to hear the preacher. We just got to get more people to hear, hear the Jesus is like, the, the, no, no. No, I have a longer vision. I have disciples in mind who are going to make disciples, who are going to make disciples, who are going to make disciples. Like, aren't you thankful Jesus' strategy involved more than just bringing people to hear what he had to say? It involved discipleship. Can I tell you why that was such good news? Because of that, you and I are Christians today. We are, on the, we are like a chain link on the end of this long chain of discipleship from this moment. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee because he's awesome, and Jesus walks by the sea. That's just cool to me. He just walk, long walks on, on the sea with Jesus. He saw Simon, two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They're fishermen. Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. He does it again with another set of brothers, fishing bros. When they had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, poor guy, poor name, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went after him. So Jesus is preaching the gospel, but he's also calling Disciples, calling disciples to follow him. This is also the mission that Jesus has given the church, to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, is Mark's version. Matthew's version is also to make disciples. The goal is not, as a church, to lead people to pray a prayer. Okay, we're done with you. Okay, go. Carry on. Pray the Lord takes care of you, okay? Go in peace, you know? First and foremost, our call is to get people to know Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want, we want to proclaim the good news of Jesus, invite them into the kingdom because he loves them. But that's not, a, that's not the end of the job. It's the means to, to discipleship, to grow people, to call people to follow Jesus. You know, one of the greatest evidences of your salvation is your discipleship. You're not saved by the, your spiritual fruit and all that, but it is evidence. You've trusted in Jesus and you're following him. You know, being a disciple, by the way, is not reaching a certain tier of the Christian life because you've, like, read your Bible enough and you know enough memory verses. <laughs> it's like, I made it. Level 12. I was a believer. Then I became a volunteer. Then I was a tither. Ten more steps. Now I'm a disciple. I did it. Right? It's like this Navy SEAL group of Christians. <laughs> these are just fish. These are fishermen. It's like, you're, you're disciples. Discipleship is what it means to be a Christian. When you step through the doorway of salvation, you're stepping into discipleship, which is following Jesus. Now, it's, it's important to mention this because this isn't the first time that these fishing bros have encountered Jesus. John's gospel tells us there was a moment where they've really spent some time with him. But, but there is, it's interesting here, Jesus comes to them. I love this. He shows up in the middle of their work week, in the middle of their work day on their job site. It's like, hey guys, <laughs> walking by the sea. And in this moment, listen, they were familiar with him, but he makes an official invitation to them. And that invitation is for them to move from just knowing about Jesus and generally believing in Jesus 
to actually having Jesus at the center of their lives. Leave behind your whole life and follow me. This is what Jesus calls us to. Not just to know about him generally, but the ministry Jesus accomplishes is calling us out of just kind of nominal understanding, and he's calling you to follow him. An invitation. Now, the invitation is, is not... Um, it's not foreign to those that are receiving it. In that culture, discipleship was a very real thing. It was in Greek culture and certainly Jewish culture. A student would apprentice under a rabbi. We talk a lot about this in our church. We talk about Jesus being our rabbi, where his apprentices is language that we've borrowed from John Mark Comer. But the idea of it is we're students of Jesus. And like a first century disciple, Jesus says, come be with me, come learn from me so that you can live like me. That's a disciple. Like if you've ever been an apprentice of someone before in your workplace, what you're doing is you're like, I'm spending time with you to learn how you do what you do so that I can do it like you. And that's what Jesus invites us to, to come know him, to walk with him, to learn his way, to live like him. It's a disciple. He calls these disciples to follow him. Um, in the middle of their work day, and they just go, hey, can I come? It's, I was wondering, you know, I was thinking about this, like, could they have just been like, Jesus, I get off at five, can I follow you then, you know? But, but they're like, we're, we're all after you, Jesus. I love the language that's used there to say that they immediately left their nets and just went after Jesus. You know, I feel like I've, I can relate to this, because growing up in the church, I heard the gospel, I believed in the gospel, but I wonder if you have a moment in your life that you can look back on and go, there was this defining moment where Jesus is like, hey, it's time to move from knowing about me to following me, to actually being my disciple, to living in the life I've called you to. And notice the cost that's involved in that, right? They left their nets. We want to reach for Jesus, but we can't reach for Jesus and still hold on to our sin in the same hand. Jesus, I want, I want what you have for me, but I also like this too. And Jesus is saying, saying Leave it behind so that you can step into what I have for you. What an invitation. A call to follow him into a new life. I have so much more for you is what he's telling these disciples. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus has on offer for us as we follow him. Jesus also came teaching the scriptures. Jesus came preaching the gospel. He came calling disciples. Jesus also came, we saw there, teaching the Bible, teaching the scriptures. Jesus was a Bible teacher. Mark 1, 21 and 22, it says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue. This was his custom. And he taught. Had the, the, the scrolls open, and he taught from the scriptures. I love this. And they were astonished as, at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. This is one of the main elements of the ministry of Jesus. It's the exposition and the clarification of God's word, what's true in God's word. Word. Um, and one of the hardest parts about teaching people what God's Word has to say, the hardest part about learning is unlearning. All the ideas you have and you've accumulated, whether from your cultural background or your assumptions that you didn't realize were so deeply ingrained in you about God and about Jesus. And, and like, listen, that's the culture that Jesus is speaking to. And it's a dominant spiritual culture of these Pharisees and teachers that had their interpretation of the law, but it wasn't original. It wasn't substantial. It was just tradition. And they were all saying the same things, right? 
Jesus comes on the scene with authority. And he's not just tickling ears, you know, itching ears, whatever, the, yeah, both, you know. He's not, he's not just trying to please the hearers. He's not just trying to bring another feel-good. He's like, I'm here to give you what you most desperately need, and it's the truth. As much as it may hurt, it's what you most need. And so he would teach the scriptures. He would teach the word. And he would often teach like this. You read the Sermon on the Mount, he'd say things like this. You have heard it, what? said. You've heard it said. You've been led to think this way, but I say to you with authority, he would say, here's the heart of God revealed in the scripture. This is who God is. Whatever has clouded your understanding of God, come be a student of Jesus and learn the truth. It takes a posture of humility to do that. Now, Jesus emphasizes the importance of this in John 8. Jesus says to those who believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. I've called you to be a disciple. And a characteristic of discipleship is you're a student of my truth. You're not bringing your assumptions to the table. You're bringing an open and willing learning heart that also acknowledges that you tend to believe things that may be off. And you come to say, Jesus, I want your truth and I want your word. Notice this, and here's why we need his word. So that we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. This is why Jesus brings us his truth. Not for us to just simply be educated know-it-alls. But we learn God's word to live in the freedom that he actually has for us. That's the purpose of the seed of God's word being sown. To learn the truth, to live free. To live in all, the freedom of being all that God has called me to be. Um, this requires a certain heart posture. Um, I, I love this scripture in Psalm 25.5. Look at the scripture. What a great prayer to pray. Something that we could pray as a community even every week. Speaking to God, lead me in your truth. It, it's almost like just that statement says, I tend to go astray into my own ideas. So God, I'm coming to your word. I'm posturing myself as a student. And I'm saying, Jesus, you're my teacher. I'm your disciple. With your authority, I submit Teach me and lead me in your truth. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. What a great posture to have. Jesus came teaching the scriptures, the truth of God's word to bring people to freedom. Jesus came, oh, we're doing all right. Jesus came overpowering darkness. Another thing that we see Jesus doing in his ministry. Jesus comes preaching the gospel. Jesus comes calling disciples. He continues this through his life. He continues this through the church. Jesus comes teaching the scriptures. What's the truth of God revealed in God's word? We're students of the scriptures. Jesus comes overpowering darkness. You know, the enemy really doesn't like when the truth of God's word is taught. He doesn't like it. He closes churches. He distracts people. He, he invents iPhones. Okay. He sends a messenger from hell called notifications. He hates when God's people gather around the truth of his word. And every time that God is seeking to bring us to truth, the enemy is opposing it. We see that. Jesus comes. This just shows you how important it is that Jesus is teaching the word. This is usually how you know something, like what you're doing is really important. Is there some spiritual resistance to it? You're like, this might matter. A lot of times we, we, we interpret resistance as God's rejection, right? 
And sometimes that takes some wisdom and counsel, but oftentimes the resistance is just validation that you're doing what God has called you to do. I would be worried if you never experienced resistance. Because then it's like, am I doing anything substantial, God? And here's Jesus teaching the truth of God's word. It says, now as he's teaching, there's a man in their synagogues. You just see the enemy interrupting this moment with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. Notice when he's saying this, when Jesus is helping God's people see the truth of God's word. And that's intervening with the, with the demonic plan to keep people blind and trapped and enslaved. Leave us alone. You're in here teaching the truth. Come on, Jesus, bring like a Pharisee feel-good message. Give me like a Jesus TED Talk with 10 inspirational points about how to be a better me. Sorry, I was a little harsh. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons believe and tremble. But it's kind of funny here, right? It's like we talked about the context contest between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. This is like, this is the scene in the movie that's like the best scene when like the king is fighting the subjects of the, you know what I'm saying? Like the front, like the, the, the front line guys. They're not, it's not even like a king fighting another king. It's just like his little minions, you know, literally minions. All right. And so Jesus just rebukes them. And he's like, just shut up. All right. Be quiet. Be quiet. That's what the truth of God's word does. It silences the lies. Be quiet. Come out of him. Jesus, with his authority, rebukes this opposition. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, it says he came out of them. And they're all amazed because of the authority that Jesus brought. And it leads to his fame spreading all throughout the region. Um, so the Bible tells us this, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we, we don't simply wrestle against flesh and blood forms of evil. There's extremes to this where we make everything the devil. Like, be careful. There, there are flesh and blood forms of evil. Okay, you can, the Bible actually is like, you can look in the mirror and see one, you know? Like. But we don't simply, ultimately wrestle against flesh and blood. There is, in a spiritual realm, a battle that goes on between darkness and light. From the very beginning, God has been separating this. The very beginning, there's light and there's darkness, and they're at war with one another. And anytime the light is rising up and shining, darkness is always seeking to attack the light. Um, like, how do I know this? I've been planning a church now for four years, okay? And anytime God is, do, is up to something new, it's almost like you have to be ready for the opposition to show up. Like, here it comes. And, and I think there needs to be that, right? If we're not, if we're not on the defense... We're going to be caught off guard. We need to be, as, as Paul tells Timothy, we need to be fighting the fight of faith. Don't let your guard down. That's when the temptations show up the strongest, right? So, so we've, got to have a, we've got to have an awareness that this is a reality. There's a dark opposition that we face. But Jesus came overpowering that darkness. This is what he's done and what he continues to do. It's pretty funny to think about the analogy, darkness trying to overcome light, right? That's the picture in scripture. And every time the light is shining, the darkness is trying to close in on it. But I love what John reminds us about Jesus, that in Jesus was life and the light, life was the light of men. I love this, right? And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Another translation says overcome it. 
So, so we have this like sobering reality that we're in a spiritual battle. We don't let our guard down. But we have a greater fear of God than we do of the enemy. And so we, we find ourselves sobered, but also confident that there's authority in Jesus to overcome darkness. That we can pray darkness away. We can shine our light. Now, we don't fight the darkness the way we might think of. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. We wage war in the heavenlies. We, we wage war through prayer, through fasting, through repentance. With every great work of God, there's an opposing work of the enemy, but there's always a greater work of God. Always there to overpower whatever's dark. And so maybe today you have, maybe either, you're on one, either one of the other side, where you have like a, an unhealthy underestimation of darkness. Do you know what I'm saying? And you need to open your eyes a little bit to the reality of what you're facing. There's others of you who have an overestimation of darkness. And you've got way too high a view of the enemy. You need to see the enemy under the feet of Jesus. You need to see Jesus over whatever darkness you're facing. You need to see Jesus as, a, as capable to overcome whatever comes to you. Amen? All right, last one. See, Jesus does miracles too, all right? Jesus came, lastly, healing the broken. Jesus came preaching the gospel. Jesus came calling disciples to move from nominal faith to surrender, to follow Jesus, to leave behind some things to be, there to, to be his disciple. Jesus came teaching the truth of the scriptures. The enemy doesn't like that, and he often opposes that. But Jesus overpowers darkness. We can trust in him to be stronger as the light. And then Jesus comes healing the broken. One of the first accounts we have of Jesus coming into a broken situation, that of a mother-in-law who's um, ill, very ill, to the point that they have to rush to get Jesus with a fever. A broken situation, Jesus brings glorious healing now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, so this is like all, this is a, you ever had a day like this where you're like, that was one day? This is a long day. As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with, with James and John and Simon's wife's mother, come on, dude, lay sick with a fever and they told him about her all at once and Jesus comes and takes her by the hand and lifts her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. The kingdom of God is really here. Because the kingdom of darkness has brought things like brokenness and sickness into this world, but the kingdom of God is here. And so here's a first example of many where Jesus is going to step into broken places, sick places, and he's going to bring healing. He heals her. You know, we, we all have our own testimony of this. You have your own sickness. You have your own form of brokenness. We're going to talk about this a little bit next week when we see Jesus doing some more of this. But what a great vision for what the healing work of Jesus looks like in our lives. Like, however you find yourself today, as broken as you may feel, you might feel like this woman in a sense. You're just kind of laid up spiritually. You're out of commission. You've suffered too much trauma. You've been away from Jesus too far. You have too much hurt. There's just too much sickness. You just, it's almost like you counted Jesus out from his ability to heal what hurts. And you're kind of just there. And I just want you to see Jesus stepping into the room. Extending his hand to you. And saying, I can heal you. 
Get up. Rise up. Isn't that beautiful? I, I come to you just as you are, and then I lift you up. I bring healing to your situation. Jesus is a healer. He heals the most painful parts of our lives, the most broken parts of our lives. He brings restoration. The, the work of sin in this world has, has brought great destruction, but the work of Jesus brings a greater restoration. So where in your life, think about this, like where do I need some healing from Jesus? What's broken? What needs restoration? I, I love the picture of how Jesus lifts her up and puts her right to work. I love it. It can almost seem like, rude, but, but it's not that. It's not like, okay, now, take care of us, okay? Like, like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, who's going to cook dinner? Oh, her. Okay, come on. Heal. All right, good. Make us dinner. You know, like, it can seem, that's, that's not what's going on here. This is a woman who, who, as she rises to her feet, it says she serves them, right? This is, this is a Christian. A Christian is someone who's like, I've just been healed by Jesus. How can I serve him? How can I be about what he's doing? How can I be about his ministry? This is the way Jesus began. I'll invite our worship team to come out here and, and we'll close um, with this closing moment here in worship. But I want you to, in this closing moment as we leave, I want you to be thinking about this verse that we began with here. As, you know, before you just rush out into your Sunday and into your week, I want you to just have a moment here to pause and think about this. What kind of ministry do you need from Jesus this morning? Do you need the gospel of Jesus? Maybe that's what you need from him as you come to his throne of grace. You need his good news to invade your mind and your situation to remind you that the king has come and he loves you. Maybe the ministry you need from Jesus is a call to step out of lukewarm Christianity into a life that's surrendered to him. And the ministry you need from him is just his assurance that I have something better for you. Come follow me. Watch what I'm going to do with you. Maybe the ministry that you need from Jesus this morning is that of him leading you into what's true because you've been bound by lies. And you need to come. You know what you need to do? You need to expose those lies before the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I've been believing. But this is what your word says. It is written. Jesus, minister your truth to me by your spirit. Maybe for you, the ministry that you need is this confidence that says, Jesus, you can overcome the darkness that's coming against me. The spiritual warfare, the battle that I've been facing, help me trust in your power to overcome whatever I'm facing, Lord. God, I, I, I repent for having a casual, unhealthy view of the spiritual war I'm in. Or, God, I repent for forgetting who you are in this battle. And then lastly, maybe for you, you go, I have some brokenness. And Jesus, I come to your throne of grace to find the healing that I need here. I need healing for my marriage. I need restoration for that broken relationship. I need healing from shame. I need healing in my heart because I've experienced disappointment and my heart has become sick. I need you to heal me, Jesus. What a great question that we get to ask ourselves today. What do we need from Jesus?